Hi, and welcome to episode 89 of How to Wow and our special pop-up podcast, episode 16 from last year's CarFest 2022. CarFest is a not-for-profit well-being music food superstar and motor car festival that has so far raised circa £25 million for UK children's charities. Check out what's happening this year by going to carfest.org. Carfest.org, that is, where you'll see our best ever lineup of guests, hosts, and rock and rollers, yet many of them staying with us the whole weekend, including the likes of Richard Hammond, Rob Brydon, Jimmy Carr, Lee Mack, Bryony Gordon, Eddie Izzard, Rick Astley, Craig David, Russell and Laura Brand, Texas McFly, the actual village people, Alex Horn, Angela Hartnett, Matt Tebbett, Michael Keynes, Atul Kutcher, Freya Ridings, Ben Miller, Dr. Rungan Chatterjee, Dr. Reapy, the happy pair, Melanie Sykes, the feelings, Sophie Ellis Baxter, Razorlight, Gokwan Reef, the bootleg Beatles, and only Peter Flipping Andre, plus all the amazing car content, of course. Go to carfest.org now and come join us this August bank holiday weekend. All right, from that very event, let's cue a conversation, a fascinating conversation. Today, it's That's Life with the one, the only Esther Ranson in conversation with Adrian Mills, discussing her life and his life and their careers, specifically in That's Life. That's Life was one of the biggest TV shows ever broadcast on UK TV by the BBC. That's Life with Esther Ranson and Adrian Mills. Okay, good afternoon. Are we, are we ready to go? Fantastic. So this is the That's Life panel. Please put your hands together for your host, Adrian Mills. You're you're very, very kind. Thank you very, very much indeed. Uh, Before I introduce our next guest, I will tell you this very quick story. When you work as an actor or a presenter, it's always very flattering if people know who you are. And I worked in theatre not that long ago, and I wanted to do what Ronnie Corbett had done to me, because he walked in one day and he went, hello, Adrian, hello, Mary, hello, Jane. He knew everybody's name. And I thought, Adrian, you've got to learn this. So when I was cast in a pantomime, I phoned up the box office. I thought, I'm going to find out who, who is in this panto. And the go- Oh, yes, I did. And, uh, oh, we've got our first heckle of the day. You know. and, the, and the best of it is, I thought, I'll pretend I'm bringing my family. So I said, can you tell me who's in your pantomime? And they went, yeah, yeah, hang on a minute. It was a scouser. And he said, the star of our show is Adrian Mills. I thought, yes. And he said, and don't worry if you've never heard of him, because neither have I. So... <laughs> Somebody that you will have heard of, all of you know, all generations know, and it's one of those presenters that most people know by their first name. Ladies and gentlemen, with due deference and respect, would you please welcome Dame Esther Ransom. Wow. Uh, Now, a lot of people are aware that um, I worked with Esther on uh, That's Life for many years. And recently, we've been doing a podcast together called That's Afterlife. Uh, We're not dead yet, but we just like to resurrect a few stories from years gone by. So, Esther, welcome. Thank you. Do I have to switch this on or is it on? No, you're on. Thank you. I'm even better when you can't hear me. Do you know that? We've got a terrific front row. Look at all those. Wonderful. All, all ages, Esther, all ages. All ages. Have you ever heard of Childline? Yes. Wow. Do you know the number? Do you? 
Can you tell me the number? Very good, very good. That is amazing. And do you know why that is, Adrian? Do you know, do you know how they know? Go on. Because Chadan is part of the NSPCC, and the NSPCC have a fantastic service called the School Service, which goes out to every primary school in the country, and everybody learns how to say 08001111, which is brilliant, isn't it? So thank you. Thank you very much. It's important to say that when we worked on that slide, we should have had a presenter's helpline when you worked with Esther, of course. Um, how did that slide come about? Well, how long have you got? Oh, we've got plenty of time. <laughs> okay. Well, it, it was a programme. It was a very peculiar programme. Excuse me if I address the front row, but they have proved themselves so clever and uh, committed to understanding what child lines form, what the number is. So, Forgive me a moment. Once upon a time on television, there was a very peculiar program. It had me in it. It had him in it. It had a dog that could talk. Does anybody know what the dog said? <laughs> Does anybody remember what the dog was called? The dog was called Prince. He was a Yorkshire Terrier, and he really did say sausages. <laughs> but maybe Adrian will show you how he said it. <laughs> See, I knew this was going to be fatal. That I was, I was going to bring her on, and she's going to wind me up constantly for 30 minutes. Um, when I was a child, going back a few years, um, I used to love, as all of us did when growing up, we used to watch that slide. It was uh, standard viewing on a Sunday evening. And what Esther doesn't know is that when I was about 16, we came with a school trip to London and we were given tickets to go and watch a TV programme being recorded. And it was That's Life. And it was Esther. I think it would have been Glyn Worsnick, the presenter, and the actor who's... Kieran Prenderville, it Kieran was. Kieran Playwright. And I remember sitting in the audience thinking, oh, wow, how amazing to be involved in a programme like this. So to actually end up as a presenter on the programme years later is truly amazing. But to go back to what you said, everybody, doesn't matter where you go, they remember that slide for lots of reasons. They remember it for rude vegetables. They remember it for a dog that said sausages. Now, let me just quickly show you how that dog said it. Because I thought he just said sausages. Somebody said to me, we've got this dog that can say sausages. So I thought that the dog could just... I was quite wrong. This is how he did it. <laughs> and he couldn't just say sausages. He could also say... Elvis. And he could also say... Jersey. And he could also say, once he said, Esther. <laughs> Carry on. Do you know, I almost feel Esther should go on to the X Factor with this fantastic act that she's got going in. Um, that's life. So let me take you way, way back to the start of That's Life. I need to know how you ended up becoming the main presenter of the programme. So as well as having these rather rude vegetables. If you don't know why they were rude, ask, probably ask your mummy rather than your daddy because he might feel a bit outclassed by a parsnip. Anyway, 
it had root vegetables, it had dogs that could save sausages, it had all those things, but it was also a consumer program. And that means if you bought something like a car or a washing machine or a house even, and something was wrong with it, you could write into the consumer program called That's Life, and we would investigate it and try and put things right. Now, this was not my invention. It was not your invention. It was the invention of a Canadian actor and broadcaster called Bernard Braden. And he was wonderful. And am I right in thinking the program was called Braden's Week or Braden's Beat? The one I worked on was called Braden's Week. It was preceded by one called On the Braden Beat. And when he um, came over to the BBC, the BBC decided to do a consumer program with him. That was... Braden's Week. I was one of the reporters on it with a lovely man called John Pittman. And when Bernie decided to go to Canada, because he was asked to make the same program there, the BBC decided to try and continue making consumer programs of that type. And they called it That's Life. And I was in it. So... That's Life Starts. Yes. You have been the one consistent factor for 21 years presenting the programme. Um, and presenters have come and gone. I served on it uh, for seven years in total. Um, why do you think the audience responded to it and loved it? Because, and it astounds me, when you read about the figures, That's Life, on a regular basis, used to draw 20 million viewers every week. And that is truly astounding in, in this day and age. Well, it was an interactive program before anyone had invented the term interactive. Because before emails, before WhatsApp and Facebook, people used to write us letters or ring us up. And the next Sunday or Saturday sometimes, we broadcast their story back to the viewers. So it was as if um, people could actually get through the camera lens, the television screen, and become part of the program. They felt, rightly, it was their program. And I think, and it was also quite dangerous. If things went wrong, we enjoyed that. Um, it was unpredictable. People did strange things when we filmed them in the street. I remember watching it once when uh, you had dogs in the studio mm -hmm. and mayhem ensued and the BBC overran. They actually delayed going to the news because what was happening on that slide? That was then. They wouldn't do it now. But we did overrun. And the other time we overran, there was a dog that could read the labels on dog food cans. And uh, he took his time. So we overran on that too. But yes, um, we did have these vast audiences. And that gave us clout as a program. It meant that MPs, even the Prime Minister knew that their voters, their constituents, were watching our program. And so things that we discussed on the show sometimes resulted in changes in the law, certainly resulted in changes in practice. The reason we now have safe surfaces in playgrounds was because we had a letter from a lady whose little girl had got very seriously hurt falling nose dis distance off the steps of a slide onto the playground which was surfaced with concrete because that was what they were that they were. So for something like 10 weeks, I used to demonstrate what happened 
Pizza have, have arrived. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. Hope you're sharing. <laughs> They've got pizzas behind you, so if you're hungry, I should turn around and look hungry at them. Anyway, um, what was I saying? Oh, yes. Um, I dropped a china plate on a slab of concrete where it shattered. And then we, we got some safe surfaces from Germany, I think, rubberized surfaces, dropped the, the plate on that and it just bounced. And it just demonstrated so graphically how you could save children from serious injury, you know, or worse, by putting proper surfaces down. So PTAs, local councils all over the country dug up the concrete. Now, here's the sad thing, I'm afraid. That life isn't there anymore, is it? None of the consumer programs on the air have audiences that big. So local councils can get away with, when the safe surfaces wear out and the concrete comes through, just padlocking the playgrounds up so children can't use it. And sometimes I still get letters from people who say, what can we do about this? And there isn't really an answer. Because if you look at the big audiences these days, you take something like The One Show, which is the most popular factual program on air. And it gets something but two to three million viewers. A watchdog is actually built into The One Show now as well. So, yeah. So times have changed, but you know. I mustn't start getting grumpy, must I? I'm being a grumpy... Why break the habit of a lifetime, Esther? <laughs> um, I, I remember a, a black cab, literally about two months ago, the driver said to me, he said, it's your fault. I said, what is? He said, you see those plastic covers on the handles of the cab doors? I said, yes. He said, that's life. He said, somebody fell from a cab one day, and because of that Esther Ranson, we all had to have those fitted. God bless her. You know, so... And it's little things like that. Now, now, the reason I love the programme, and I think the majority of the audience did, but some people found it difficult, was that combination of serious journalism and some very hard-hitting stories and the flippant side of things. Why do you think that worked as a combination? Well, it always has in British theatre. If you think about Shakespeare... It was always a combination of the most serious. I mean, in Macbeth, not supposed to mention it, are we? In the Scottish play, there's a drunken porter. There always were jokes alongside very serious stuff. But television is much more specialised these days. And I don't, think, I don't think you could do it these days because I think people look around, bye, thanks for coming. Sorry you missed the uh, pizza. They're very nice. Um, so, so I think it's, it's so specialised these days, because I don't know about you, but when you're in the mood for drama, you can find drama. When you're in the mood for comedy, you can find comedy. When you're in the mood for the news and who is these days, it's all so depressing. Do you find you can't listen to it anymore? Because every time you turn up on the news, it's going to be something about, uh, you know, energy prices or poor old Ukraine which I'm sitting here representing. Mm. I wear blue and yellow, and I wear a sunflower. I, I think we mustn't forget what's happening. But anyway, listening to the news, I don't know about you, I, I just find it so depressing. So 
That's life, as you say, had this extraordinary mixture. And when you turned on, you just didn't know whether we were going to tell you some life and death story, like the story of Ben Hardwick, little boy who needed an organ transplant, and actually, thanks to us, got one, or a talking dog. And also, the part of the programme that lots of people used to enjoy were, were the street interviews. And I don't know if you remember, there used to be a wonderful old lady called Annie Misson, who uh, used to be found down the North End Road drinking, we used to, well, it started off with whiskey or what was it, whiskey and gin, and she couldn't t- tell the difference. And she said she didn't drink, but by God, she, she knock it back. It was whiskey and brandy, actually. That's it, that's it. And I can remember that because she sang me a song. Whiskey makes you frisky and brandy makes you... Can't quite recall, can't quite recall. And of all these street interviews, yes. uh, of the two presenters sat on this stage, please put your hand up if you have a criminal record. <laughs> please explain. Once upon a time, a lot of my stories start that way. Once upon a time, I had a microphone like this. I was standing in the street and I was offering people food and it wasn't pizza. And it wasn't even a rude vegetable. I hate to admit this to you with COVID so recent in our memories, but it was bat soup. Yeah. Anyway, I was handing it out and up came a policeman and he said, move along girl, you're causing an obstruction. And I said, but I've been standing on this street corner for 12 years. He said, I don't care if you've been here since time immemorial, you're not standing here anymore, move along. So I moved along, I moved to the next corner where I was not obstructing anyone because there wasn't anyone. It's quite difficult to interview when you've got nobody to interview. So I looked around, he'd gone, so I went back to my original corner and he shimmied out of the doorway of a gas showroom in the days when we had gas showrooms. And he said, that's it, my girl, you're nicked. And I said, but I'm not obstructing. Look, people can get to and fro. And he talked into his walkie-talkie and up came a black Mariah. You know, the van that they put convicts and serious criminals in. Now, I had not been arrested before. So I got it wrong and I got in the door next to the driver (laughs) and the policeman had to get in the back. So I wound down the window and I said, please will you uh, put in a word for me if you think that I was not obstructing? And the whole crowd unanimously shouted, guilty! (laughs) And so I was convicted of obstruction, but the BBC paid my 15 pound fine. So all the license payers, all of you had to um, collaborate, cooperate, conspire with my crime. And and do you know the irony is, I remember, because I was working as an actor at the time, I remember seeing the Evening Standard headlines, Ransom arrested. And I thought, oh my God, this is gonna be a mega story. Funnily enough, I was working on a program called Fairly Secret Army, and I was playing a policeman. 
When I auditioned for That's Life, I was, well, I had two jobs. I was working at Earl's Court at the Exhibition Centre, doing telephone debt collecting, very boring. Um, and I left, and as I was kept going home, I bought the stage and it said, we are looking for a new That's Life presenter. And I thought, oh my God, this is a chance. And I phoned up and I spoke to a lovely researcher called Georgie Little, if you remember. And she said, we've had 5,000 emails, or not emails, letters before emails even existed. Um, so we're not looking for anyone else. I actually got my photograph and my CV in there, was selected to go and have an interview, thinking I'm going to meet the producer. No, I walk in, the first person I meet is Esther Ranson, and she looks at a photograph and she goes, excuse me, your photograph, you've got long hair, you're sat here now with short hair, and I thought, do I tell this story? And the story was, I was playing a policeman in fairly secret army, and the director said, right, three of you, grab that lady, put her in the back of a black Mariah. So it was very sort of close to what happened to you. We did this about three or four times, and it didn't really work. And the director, this is the honest truth, he said, and I actually told her this, he said, look, guys, guys, this isn't working. He said, what I want you to do is grab her, give her a good kicking, <laughs> pretend it's Esther Ranson, right? So I told her this story at the interview, and she sat there, and you know that moment you think, she should never have said it. And then you burst out laughing, and hopefully the rest is history. You know. Yes, we hired him because he said on his CV that he was particularly brilliant. In fact, I'm not sure he didn't say he hadn't won medals for his skill in adopting any kind of accent. Okay, just taking a pause to tell you about AG1, also supporting this particular podcast. AG1, I'm asked all the time about the one thing I do to take care of my health. If I could pick only just one product, it would be foundational nutrition. And AG1 is a top foundational nutrition product. I can't think of any other daily routine that pays off as well as AG1, according to people that I really look up to who really know their stuff. AG1 is recommended by such luminaries as Rich Roll, the amazing professor. Dr. Andrew Schieberman, Tim Ferriss, and our one, our only Dr. Rangan Chatterjee. AG1 was created in 2010 and has helped millions of mornings begin on a healthier foundation ever since. My wife takes it, I take it, even our 14-year-old son Noah takes it now. He swears by it. AG1 is not only a high-quality all-in-one solution for daily foundational nutrition, it also saves you time, confusion, and money compared to individual supplements that can add up to a small fortune. AG1 replaces your multivitamin, probiotic, and much more in one simple drink. Drinkable habit AG1 is great bang for my buck as it replaces a lot of these other supplements like a daily multivitamin minerals, pre and probiotics for my gut health, adaptogens and a greens blend, literally all in one scoop of powder. I think there's 75 different supplements in each scoop. Science-driven formulation of vitamins, probiotics and whole food source nutrients. AG1 is raising the standard for quality in the supplement category. Just one daily serving gives me the comprehensive foundational nutrition I need. Go to drinkag1.com slash how to wow. That's drinkag1.com slash how to wow. Give it a go. Check it out. Let us know how it lands. And now back to the wow. So when we were telling the story of a Spanish company that was conning people and they made statements, we asked Adrian to do the Spanish accent. Would you like to demonstrate to the ladies, gentlemen, and children? She's so embarrassing. Um, I'm not sure I'd get away with it in this day and age, to be honest, but heart, heart on heart, hand on heart even, 
At drama school, I was very good at accents. So of course, Esther, I'll do the Spanish accent, not a problem. So of course, live TV, a lot of pressure. As I started to do this Spanish accent, which I thought was talking like this, he's very simple, si, okay, Esther. It turned into this Japanese madman. And, and no matter how I tried to recover it and pull it back, it got worse and worse and worse. And I swear to God, I became totally Japanese by the end of it. And yeah, what, what can I tell you? I mean. And then um, this company held some enormous fake event in one of the London hotels. So we sent him in undercover with our film crew and he sat down at a spare seat at the table. And, you know, there were a lot of Spanish people there. And so he adopted this interesting accent of his. And how did you explain it? The guy next to me was actually an African chief. And he turned to me and he went, why are you here? And I, I, I where are you from? And I said, oh, I am from Spain, but my mother is Japanese, right? <laughs> And you know, it became one of the most downloaded clips. It was on points of view. It was in all the newspapers. Um, but the, what we used to love, uh, and the best of it was, the cameraman and the director were spotted. They were taken out. I think they may have been arrested. And I stayed and had the most wonderful three-course meal. And then bid fell, farewell, sayonara, and just disappeared and left everybody to it. But you, you picked up on a very good point there, which I was going to come to. Over the years, the cons, the con men that we came across... There was, I mean, I know which one you're going to tell. For me, I love the one that said, send £29. And they advertised in home and country or county where it's called Horse and Hound. And we will send you a miniature portrait of the Queen. And hundreds and hundreds of people sent their money. And by return of post, they were sent a one-piece stamp. <laughs> and you can't prosecute because they hadn't lied. But I know which one you're thinking of. Well... <sighs> Yeah, there was quite, quite a few of them, but the one that went on and is still going on was a gentleman called Peter Foster, who um, kept inventing fake slimming aids, things that he claimed that you could eat or drink and you would lose weight without having to change your diet in any way, starting with tea called Bailin tea. He managed to persuade Sam Fox to say that she'd used it and it worked. Then there was a pill made out of something called guar gum that makes you fart. Excuse me, oh, that's good. Anyway, and uh, it's supposed to fill up your stomach. Um, that didn't work either. Anyway, we, we ex every time he came up with a new con, we exposed him. And eventually, eventually, he, um, the trading standards caught up with him and I think, I think he was sent to prison. I think he went back to Australia. So I wasn't terribly pleased when decades later it was revealed that Cherie Blair, Cherie Booth, had this property advisor called Peter Foster who had negotiated the flats that her son bought. He was, he was the boyfriend of their... Sort Carol of, Kaplan. Carol Kaplan, the sort of keep fit massage guru or whatever. Absolutely, stylist that she reused. So they caught up with him. He went back to Australia. Many decades went by. I went to visit my sister, who lives outside Melbourne. And there was a shuttle bus from the airport to my sister's house. And I took it. And there was a very, very gloomy driver. 
And we talked about this and that, and he explained to me he was gloomy because he'd just spent 25,000 Australian dollars on a franchise selling a slimming spray that you spray on your tongue and it completely extinguishes your appetite. And it was being advertised by a jockey who said he'd used it to lose weight. And I said, if I said to you, Peter Foster, and it was indeed the latest con being sold by Peter Foster. Anyway, there was a rumor that he was on the run, that he was now being pursued by police, by trading standards officers, by everybody, and that he had fled to Fiji and was hiding under a bridge. No, he hadn't. He'd made so much money, he was living in the glitziest suburb of Sydney called Byron Bay in plain sight. He was sent to prison and released, I think, last February. Yes. So here's the, here's the deal. Do not, under any circumstances, by any kind of slimming aid, be it a pill, a spray, a gel, a tea, if the name Peter Foster is in any way connected with it. I think as we used to say on the programme, if it sounds too good to be true, it's it too, it, it's yeah. too true, yeah. absolutely. There was another great con that I always remember that um, popped up was um, somebody wrote to a restaurant saying, I was in your restaurant last night, loved the food, service was great, unfortunately a waitress spilt soup on the back of my jacket. You did offer to have it dry cleaned, please find attached an invoice at the time, I think it was four pounds way back in the 80s. And of course, if you're a big restaurant chain or a company, four pounds, you go, oh, just pay that. And then, because we used to get 10,000 letters a week, we saw this letter was from Yorkshire, this letter was from Lancashire, this letter was from London. This guy was sending out hundreds and hundreds of the same letter, and he was raking in thousands of pounds by people just sending checks for four pounds to him. So um, it's a great little one, try it at home. You know? <laughs> um, guys, we've only got a few minutes left to chat here. We are gonna open it up for um, 15 minutes for any Q and A's. So if you have a question you'd like to ask Esther uh, or myself, there is one question I do need to ask you, Esther. Go on. It was on the other night. It's got nothing to do with that's life, but you popped up on first dates. <laughs> and actually, my friend phoned me, he said, Esther's on first dates. Can you tell me about your date? Because I know this story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, well, I haven't really watched the programme. I watch it regularly now. I hadn't really watched it, but the producers came to me and said, we think that a lot of older people would like to find a date. Maybe they've lost a husband and, you know, they, they're used to having someone they love, etc., etc." So if you went in for the show, it would be, it would give other people permission to admit that they would like to find someone as well. Well, I knew it was a popular program, and I do like appearing in shows that work. So I've done I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. I've done... Strictly Come Dancing. Rather briefly. Um, anyway, so I said, okay. And um, they found me a very nice Irish lawyer called John, and uh, he made a tiny error 
At the beginning of our meal together, he told me a sad story about how his marriage has split up. Now, you know there is a difference between counseling and flirtation. There is a difference. And I dropped into counseling mode and tried to cheer him up. But anyway, it was a nice meal, and um, afterwards they interview you. I don't know if you've watched the program, but they interview you about each other. So um, they asked me about him, and I, I said he, he was charming and very bright and doing very good work. And then they asked him about me, and he said, Well, Esther, for a lady of your advancing years, you were splendid company. And I thought, pardon. So I said to him, what did you say? And he said, didn't you hear me, dear? So it, uh, I haven't seen him since. But uh, well, you, You've not seen him for three years, but today. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, we, we do stay in touch with each other. Yeah. Yes. We do. We, uh, we have. And please, uh, if you, you know, enjoy our chat and banter, then do have a listen to our podcast. It's called That's Afterlife. And we have a little reminisce about that slide. We talk about what affects people now in this day and age. And, um, and we have a celebrity guest. And Esther's got the best little black book you could ever imagine. So we've had Dame Judi Dench. We've obviously had Anton de Beck. Uh, we've had, who else have we had? Um, Giles Brandreth. Michael Palin. Yeah, and all of them have been absolutely brilliant. Katie so, Price. Wow. All I will say, listen to the Katie Price interview because it's not a, cra a car crash. It's a, a train crash meets car crash meets full on, full on. We, we've got lots of... Um, suggestions about what she should do with her life, but not to be shared here. Right, ladies and gentlemen, um, you know, this is reflected glory because I, I, I love to work with Esther. I love working on that slide. So just now, could I say thank you to Esther Ranson, Dave Esther Ranson. We have a couple of microphones circling around. So may I throw it open to you? Do you have any questions on any subject imaginable uh, to myself or obviously Esther? Go on, be a devil. This is gen gentlemen in the in, right in the middle. Microphone coming to you. So why don't you stand up? And tell us who you are. You're John from Ireland. Yes. No, I'm Nick from Devon. <laughs> um, but I'd like to ask Esther how she stays looking so absolutely fabulous at age. <laughs> That's the date you should have had. Well, there, there is, there is um, a secret, and that is make sure you're quite a long way away <laughs> and make sure they don't wear glasses. And you, on the same token, I worked with a, a young dancer recently on the train. She said, my mum and dad used to watch you and Esther on That's Life. Do you know you're old enough to be my wife? Your dad? And she went, no, my granddad. <laughs> Anybody else, please? Lady right in the front. Hi, I was once on local radio. It was terrifying. And they said, actually, you're going to follow day Mr. Ranson. So it was... Absolutely terrifying. And I wanted to ask you, because I support older people, isolation and loneliness. What inspired you to set up Silverline? Well, yes. Um, 
My late husband, Desmond Wilcox, he died in 2000. Um, and um, about 10 years after he died, I moved out of the family home into what I call a two-bedroom flat in Little Old Lady Land and found myself aged 71 living alone for the first time and hating it. Now, I'm an agnostic. I hope you will not think less of me for that. I have a religious daughter. So I was a little shocked to hear myself say to her, you know, Em, I think God wants you to move in with me. <laughs> Fortunately, she laughed, and I did what I always do when I need therapy. I rang up the Daily Mail, and they said, um, yeah, that's a good topic. Why don't you write about it? And I wrote about it, and I was inundated with response. Loads of people said that it was quite brave of me to admit to feeling lonely because there's a stigma attached to, to it. You don't like admitting it. Quite a lot said, don't know why you're complaining, Esther, you've got your health and strength, you go out and about, suppose you were disabled, looking at the same four walls day after day with nobody to talk to. Quite a lot of organizations said, well, we exist, you know, the WI or, or Age UK or Independent Age or all kinds of organizations, churches. Um, we, we try and, and reach out to people who are on their own, but they're very difficult to find because what happens is that loneliness saps your confidence. So the front door becomes like a brick wall you can't get over. You don't take exercise because it's no fun doing that on your own. So your health suffers. You don't eat properly because it's no fun cooking for yourself. And I'd actually experienced all that. So... Um, because of the number of letters I received, I was asked by a group of charities working together, calling themselves the Campaign to End Loneliness, to come and speak at a conference. Now, piece of advice, like the advice to, as you're getting older, make sure people don't wear their glasses. Um, piece of advice, if you get a light bulb moment, ignore it, okay? Because if you don't ignore it, it will take over your life. I was standing up talking to um, the audience in the conference and I had one of those light bulb moments and I wrestled with myself and I tried to stop myself saying what I then said, which was that 25 years previously, I'd had a light bulb moment. Then I was talking to experts in child protection and uh, there was a stigma attached to child abuse, and we found a telephone line broke through that and enabled children to ask for help, and that was called Childline. So I said to the audience, now the stigma is loneliness, now it's affecting older people, do you think a telephone line would help there? And all the experts I was talking to said, yes, do it. But I was on my own. I didn't have a television program or a team around me. Anyway, I took everyone's name and address. I spent a year meeting everybody who was running a helpline. And then we set up the silver line. And it's still running. But here's the thing. You can raise money for children. People care about children. Children in Need is a shining example of a fantastic fundraiser. This event is helping a lot of children, a lot of children. It's very important. You can raise money for cancer. You can raise money for lifeboats. You'll find all those in the top 10. 
You won't find a charity working for older people in the top 10 or the top 20 or the top 30. Age UK comes in at number 46. It's just not a popular charity. So the Silver Line found that it was impossible to raise enough funds to meet the demand. So now we're part of Age UK and we're trying to build up the resources to meet the demand because we still can't. So thank you for caring about older people and thank you for the work you do. I think we've got time possibly for one more quick question. Somebody, anything about rude vegetables, talented pets, street interviews? Anton Dubeck. Anton Dubeck. Yes, what, how, oh, gentlemen, front row in the white shirt, microphone to your right, sir. I'm Zane from Bournemouth. Um, Hi, Dave. Quick question, Zane. Um, what happened to the rest of the team? Do you see any of the That's Life team still? Are they still around or? There's one there. There's one here. Yeah, still, still going strong. I've gone back to doing a little bit of acting, still doing a bit of presenting. My greatest achievement, should you ever wish to know, was in 1982, before That's Life, I was in four episodes of Doctor Who, playing the main villain. And I had a long dark wig, all over body tan, wrapped round skirt, running around the jungle, shouting, kill the doctor, kill the doctor. I phoned my dad, and my dad said, thought you looked like Joan Collins, right? <laughs> and you always think you've done something really well. And I met the director years later, and the doctor was Peter Davidson. And I said, why did I get the job? He said, do you know the truth, Adrian? You were the tallest actor we saw that day. So that's how fickle this business is. Um, can I just say, just picking up on the point there, very, very sad, I have to say, from my point of view, because when I joined That's Life in 1985, I auditioned with hundreds of people. Only two of us got the job. It was myself and Grant Bainham. Gentlemen, curly hair, red framed glasses. And sadly, Grant passed away a couple of weeks ago. And that was a great shock to all of us. So, um, you know, I don't want to say we're a dying breed, but, um, you know, we're still well, around. Well, one of our researchers, Peter Bazalgette, is now chair of ITV. Yes. Um, another of our researchers, Adam Curtis, <clears throat> who claims to have filmed The Talking Dog, but actually didn't. He's won many BAFTAs as a documentary maker. We've got three or four people from That's Life who are running independent television production companies. It, we were very fortunate in the talent we had on our team because there were those you saw, like Adrian and me, but there were those you didn't see who were actually doing a lot of the hard graft behind the scenes. Um, actually, because... Our stories were all based on viewers' experience, but what we had to do was check it out, make sure it was true. And then we had to find the Peter Fosters and put the stories to them and see what their explanation was. And it was a very tough job, but the people who could do it then went on to succeed um, in all kinds of um, areas in television and outside television. I know this because, now, ladies and gentlemen, third and last bit of advice. All right, I will taser her in a minute. Yeah. I looked at Wikipedia, I looked up That's Life, and it's all wrong. So I started to correct it, and they refused my corrections. <laughs> so a friend of mine said, okay, 
write it from scratch. So I am currently now writing the story of that's life. And as part of it, I am trying to answer that question. What has happened to the other presenters, producers, and researchers? And either, alas, they've dropped off their perch because it was a long time ago. Do you know next year will be the 50th anniversary of the launch of that's life? Can you imagine? So I must have been about eight years old when we launched it, something like that. So thank you for your brilliant questions. Any more? Just one final question anywhere? Jobsworth hat. Jobsworth hat, so gentleman shouts there. Uh, well, very quickly, can we explain about the Jobsworth hat? And then the lady with the blue top on has a quick question up there. So Jobsworth hat first, Esther. Jobsworth hat every week was presented to someone who insisted on imposing a ridiculous rule. And the um, idea came from a fantastic folk singer who had a song called Jobsworth, Jobsworth, it's more than my Jobsworth. You can tell why, although I discovered Simon Cowell, he never discovered me, can't you? <laughs> Sad that. Anyway, um, it then went into the Oxford English Dictionary, and it's now... Everybody uses everybody it. Everybody uses it, quite rightly. Usually a man in a uniform. In fact, somebody said to me the other day, they were up in Buxton, and they were stopped from taking their dog into a shopping arcade by a very officious guy in a suit. And he went, you can't bring that dog in here, you can't bring that dog in here. And they said, why not? He said, where does it stop? It'll be alligators and snakes next. <laughs> what? Jobs with... Um, lady in the blue top, final question. Hi, I am Linda from Amptill. Just very briefly, I think I'm right in saying, did you discover Victoria Wood? Because she did perform, didn't she, yeah. in yeah. some of your programme? <coughs> wonderful, wonderful, wonderful Victoria Wood. She was discovered on New Faces, one of the talent shows. I watched it. I thought she was extraordinary and uh, we incorporated her into that's life because we had a music slot and she wrote songs for us and performed them every week and um, we we were friends I have two quick anecdotes about Victoria Wood one is she invited me to the first night of Acorn Antiques the musical and I went with a friend who was always late and we arrived very late the invitation to the first night had said, dress hygienic. So I thought, what have I got? And I got a pair of marigold gloves from under the sink, got into the taxi with my friend, arrived at the theater. Everybody had gone in, a phalanx of paparazzi photo photographers. So I put on my marigold gloves and I waved to them, went in, saw nobody else had paid any attention to that instruction. You know. Scylla Black was in a lovely black leather jacket, blah de blah So, fabulous musical. If you saw it, I'm sure you will have enjoyed it. Was rung up about three days later by my daughter, Rebecca, who said, Mum, do you want the good news or the bad news? I said, good news. She said, Mum, you've made it at last. You're cool. You're in Heat magazine. <laughs> I said, fantastic, what's the bad news? She said, your photograph is in a column called, what were they thinking? 
And the other thing quickly about Victoria, when asked about me, she always used to say, I don't know why they go on about her teeth. Have you seen her dresses? Right. Uh, Victoria Wood, I just look at some of the names here. Lindsay DePaul, Richard Stilgo, Jake Thackeray are all people that passed through That's Life. As Esther said, 50 years ago it started. It's still remembered. It's still talked about. People constantly ask me about it. And I have to say, from my point of view, and I'm sure Esther agrees, there is a place on television for a consumer programme called That's Life to deal with all the troubles and problems that we all go through on a daily basis. <laughs> sure. um, Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much. You've been such a lovely audience. I wasn't quite sure what to expect. I don't think we were knowing what to do. Um, really appreciate it. My name's Adrian Mills, Dame Esther Ranson. God bless you. Have a great four days. How great was that? That's live with Esther Ranson in conversation with Adrian Mills, recorded at last year's Carfest. And if you'd like to come for similar and much more of it, then come to this year's Carfest. Check it out, carfest.org. 2023, over the August Bank holiday weekend, August 25, 26 and 27. I would love to see you there.